Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Julie. Poor Julie has seen 12 different doctors to try and get to the bottom of her symptoms. Julie has digestive issues, headaches, lots of skin rashes and irritation, brain fog and fatigue. She's also really sensitive to everything around her, fragrances, smoke, and all types of chemicals. She eats clean and lives a very clean lifestyle. She does as much as she can, but yet she's not seeing that much improvement with that. Doctor after doctor just prescribed her various medications like steroids, PPIs, even an antidepressant, but none of them helped. Julie knew that all of these symptoms have got to be somehow connected, but none of her doctors were willing to even try to put it together. And that is when she saw me. I knew that they were connected. And my sense was that it was a systemic issue that was creating all of these symptoms. And we needed to look at a very important cell in her body to solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. You just heard about all of Julie's issues, and I am so excited to have Beth O'Hara back on the show to talk much more about this. You may remember Beth from episode 67, where we discussed oxalates, and episode 81 on histamines. Now, in case you missed those, please be sure to go back and listen to those. She is such a wealth of information. Beth, I am so excited to have you. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, Anna. I'm delighted to be here. And for people who have been really struggling with chronic illnesses and these health mysteries that I love that you cover, I think this may be a game-changing conversation for them. So when someone is dealing with health issues, it's very common, especially for those that I know you and I both see in our practices and those who listen to the show as well, is to have many different symptoms all at the same time. And of course, the goal is to get to the root and what's creating all of them. And one of those, it has to do with mast cells. So can you tell us a little bit about what are mast cells and what do they do? Mast cells are one of the very key immune cells in our bodies. And they reside at every place that our bodies, when you think of our bodies, meet the outside world. They're also in every single tissue except the retina. 
So if we think about that, they are in the skin, they're in the lining of the sinus passages, the whole GI tract, from the mouth, the esophagus, the stomach, all the way down. They're in the muscles, they're made in the bones, and they migrate out. They're found at every nerve ending and along every nerve sheath in a very important area of the brain called the limbic system. So I want people to remember, just kind of tuck back in your head these locations that we're talking about, because I'm going to tie this in with what's happening with people's health. And they're in every organ. They're in the lungs, they're in the heart, they're in the liver, the spleen, and so on. They're in the thyroid. So what do they do? Mast cells are responsible for a number of functions. They have some functions around sleep-wake cycle and pregnancy and wound healing. Some big responsibilities that they have is to monitor for safety. They're monitoring for whether or not we're safe. And what are we safe or not safe from? This is toxins, pathogens like viruses, bacteria. So we can think about Lyme. We can think about tick-borne co-infections. We can think about COVID. We can think about colds and flus. They're monitoring for parasites. They're monitoring for candida and for molds. And they're also monitoring for stressors. So when we think about stressors, that can be psychological stressors and our mental states. It can be physiological stressors like an injury, or it could be EMFs. There's this wide variety of things they monitor for, and they're one of the most complex cells in the body. The way they're monitoring is what are called receptors. So they have these little receptors. You can think about them like different shaped antenna all over the outside of the mast cells. And in a, there are over 200 receptors that have been identified on mast cells. There's receptors for all these different things we've been talking about. There are receptors for histamines. Most people have heard of histamines. Cytokines, that's now become a household word. Those are cell signalers. There are receptors for hormones, estrogens, and progesterones. There's receptors for neurotransmitters and neuropeptides. And then that's how they receive information, is these two, over 200 receptors with all these different things that can be going on. Then they send out signals. And the way they send out signals is through the mediators. And these are chemicals they house inside of them. They have over a thousand different mediators. It's incredible. We don't even know how many yet. They're still being discovered. How many? Histamine is one of the most commonly known. Most people have heard of antihistamines. So antihistamines work on blocking that histamine receptor. So there's less histamine release. There are cytokines. There are whole categories of cytokines they can release. They release other inflammatory mediators, and many of the mediators are inflammatory. So we're talking about prostaglandins, interleukins. We could just go on and on with those various ones. So what they're doing, again, is keeping us safe. A real simple example, you get a cold, and your throat swells, your sinuses swell, you get all this mucus production. Mast cells certainly aren't the only immune cell involved, but they have a major role in creating that initial inflammation, creating that 
signaling to increase mucus production to keep us safe and protect us from this invading virus. Or if we get a splinter, a lot of people have had a splinter and maybe you didn't realize it, you didn't get it out soon enough and it starts to get red and itchy or maybe you even cut your finger and you didn't get it cleaned out and you were gardening and there's dirt in there and it starts to get red and hot, might get itchy. That is um, in large part, not entirely, but in large part, mast cells releasing inflammatory mediators like histamine to get that bacteria out or to push that splinter out. So they're not bad. Their mast cells are needed for survival. They're critical. And if we didn't have them, we'd all have to live in these little bubbles. And there have been some rare cases of people who were born without mast cells and they had to live their lives in bubbles. Um, we need them, and they're very important in our bodies. What's happened is that we live in a world now with le higher levels of toxins, exponentially higher levels of toxins than even 100 years ago. We're not even starting now with babies at the same starting point that we were 100 or 200 years ago. Even our grandparents, their babies now have so many chemicals found in their cord blood. Molds are at an exponential level. And I know we'll talk about molds a little bit more and you have a whole podcast on mold, but mold epidemic has exploded. It's a huge problem. That's a big trigger. EMFs, we didn't have EMFs even in the 1970s at the levels that we have today. But today we've brought in routers. We have all these smart homes. We have all of these Wi-Fi devices, now we've got 5G. There's clear studies showing that all of these things, chemicals, molds, EMFs, trigger mast cells. And if we just had a little bit of these, then we'd be fine. We'd have our mast cell response, our inflammatory response to protect us. They'd calm back down and we'd be normal. What's happening is that we don't get to reset so I like to think of the mast cells like the guards of the castle gate of our bodies. They're defending and protecting us. And if they, it was in normal times, they would be on duty for eight hours and they get to go to sleep. And then they'd get up the next day and be on duty, but they'd get vacation days and things like this. Well, we don't get that anymore. In the world we live in, I even touch on the stress, just the amount of stress we live under. You know, and, and then on top of that, this pandemic we just came out of that's created this global trauma. We have all these political traumas. We have these wars happening. Um, even our lives are just really at an unhealthy level in terms of the stress of just trying to get up, getting the kids dressed, getting their lunches made, getting them off to school, getting yourself off to work, working a stressful job, getting home, trying to grab groceries on the way home. You got to get something on the table. Kids got to have homework. You got to run them to extracurriculars. You finally get everybody home and in bed, it's 9.30 and you still have all this work left to do. Where was the time to breathe in your day? There is there is none anymore. And it's like the guards of the castle gate are doing constant battle now. Your mast cells doing constant battle 24-7 against the stress states, the toxins, the pathogens. Lyme is at epidemic levels the other co-infections and we've got Zika and all this different stuff. Now we've got COVID and they don't get a chance to rest and re-regulate. So that's when they get dysregulated and that dysregulated state 
is what's called mast cell activation syndrome. So I'll pause there because that was a lot of information. It was a lot of information, but explained so well with such detail, but also so succinct at the same time. I don't have anything to add to that. (laughs) That was amazing. You know, I would say it almost reminds me a little bit of, I talk a lot about autoimmunity on the show. It almost reminds me a little bit in the same kind of ideas, your whole immune system, right? When there's autoimmunity, it's often because the immune system doesn't get that break and it has all these triggers, right? And it ends up turning on itself because it's just tired. So it's sort of the same idea. Well, I'm so glad you brought up autoimmunity because the mast cells are actually heavily involved in the development of autoimmunity. So anyone dealing with any autoimmune condition needs to trace back and look at mast cell activation syndrome. And this is because when we look at this different branches of the immune system, the mast cells are involved both in what's called innate and adaptive immunity. And we can talk about also teach one, teach two. So those kinds of responses where we've got our teach ones are pathogen killing side. When that fails, then the teach two side kicks in and that's the chronic inflammatory side. And mast cells have a role in that initial response to pathogens, but also huge role in this chronic inflammation that happens when we have these unresolved root triggers that are going on for long periods of time. And we have that chronic inflammation, that's what opens the door for the development of autoimmunity in people who are predisposed for it. So if we want to really address autoimmunity, of course we have to trace back and address the root triggers, but people get much further faster if they will regulate the mast cells as they're addressing the autoimmunity. And I see it all the time where people get autoimmunity reversed. It's really wonderful. Me too. Yeah. And it's so important for people to know that it is possible to put it in remission and it's not this life sentence. Obviously, we have to continue to support it and work with it because it is a journey and it waxes and wanes. But I love what you're saying and I agree with you so much. So with mast cell activation syndrome then, what are some of the symptoms? Are there specific symptoms or is it something that's going to be different for each person? It's different for each person. That's why I laid the groundwork the way that we did. It depends on which mast cells and which locations are being triggered. So is it the skin mast cells, the GI mast cells, the ones along the nervous system and in the brain, the ones in the bladder and the kidneys and the liver, so on. Where are they? Which was they it's not necessarily our whole body that is dysregulated. It can, it, but it's at least two or more systems. So like I'm saying, the GI system and the skin, or it could be brain, nervous system, and gut go together quite a lot. Could be bladder problems, could be reproductive problems, hormonal issues, those things, lung issues and trouble breathing. And then it also depends on which receptors are being triggered and which of the mediators are being over-released. So, and which, when I say receptors being triggered, it's which receptors are hypersensitive now. So this is why there is almost, it's not exactly an infinite number, but there's almost an infinite number of presentations if you look at the various permutations of how it can show up. And that's what's made it so mystifying for so long and why the average time to get a diagnosis is 10 years, and the diagnostic criteria is actually still very new and still debated and in flux. But 
population studies pre-COVID showed that up to 17%, of the general population are dealing with mast cell activation syndrome, and most have no clue. That's hundreds of millions of people. And when I talk with my colleagues, we don't have studies on this yet. They're coming. And I think we're going to see these studies come out in a few years. When I talk with colleagues, we think that over 75% of people with any kind of chronic illness, because chronic illness almost always comes with inflammation, if there's inflammation, there's a mast cell involvement. We think over 75% of people with chronic illness are dealing with mast cell activation syndrome. And our diagnostic ability is not up to speed yet. And we don't even have general population studies after COVID. COVID's been a huge trigger for mast cell activation syndrome. So we know that number is much higher. It's a big trigger of the mast cells. Let me go through some of the symptom presentations. I can't do all of them. Uh, we just We could do three hours just on symptoms, but I'll give some of the more common ones. What we'll often see is pain in muscles and joints. We will see uh, brain fog, fatigue. We will see GI symptoms can be diarrhea, constipation, bloating, GI pain, um, discomfort after eating, esophagus swelling, mouth burning. Any of these can show up acid reflux. Um, in the nervous system type symptoms, we can see things like depression or anxieties. Insomnia is incredibly common, either trouble falling asleep or this nighttime waking between about 2 and 4 a.m. That's where there's a histamine dump that's been in reserve all day, dumps into the bloodstream. People with massive activation tend to wake up then. Mm, that's so interesting I, that you mentioned that only because that often is seen as like cortisol rising or liver, but that's one thing I haven't considered before with that histamine dump. That's really good to know. And I think what Chinese medicine is talking about with it being the liver is the same because a lot of that histamine clearing is happening in the liver. I think we're talking about the same thing just from different angles. Most of the people I work with have low cortisol. So that it's not going, I mean, they're, you know, we look at a four point and it's not going up. Um, they're just tanked, but it can be that hist histamine is an excitatory neurotransmitter. So it'll wake the brain up. And then with the skin, we'll see rashes. We could see hives if there's skin involvement. We could see psoriasis, eczema, any kind of the autoimmune skin conditions. Not everybody has skin symptoms though. And that's a misinformation out there that you have to have hives or rashes or itching to have mast cell activation. You don't. And it can show up one of the um, harder symptoms as well as with the bladder, the interstitial cystitis, that urinary pain and burning can show up for people. All kinds of um, hormonal issues can show up hormonal imbalances. And with the lungs, we can have shortness of breath, trouble breathing, we can have excess sinus mucus production, postnasal drip. And so people that have sinus involvement will often have this kind of <clears throat> throat clearing. And I've had, I've had involvement in every system in my body. Um, I'm, I had a really, really severe case. And when I first met my husband, he kept saying, 
I would clear my throat and he'd say, what, what? He thought I was getting his attention. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to get the river of mucus to go down. (laughs) So uh, that's common for people. I've got a symptom survey on our website. That might be the best way so we can get some more information. People can look up more. It's free. It's based on the research um, correlated symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yep, we'll post that in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. The more you have, the more likely you have mast cell activation syndrome, and it's worth looking into. But these are the people who are going from specialist to specialist to specialist. They know something's wrong, and they're told over and over, your lab work looks fine. This is all in your head. And it's not all in your head. It's that that lab work is not testing the right things. And even with a mast cell panel, we can only test for about 9 to 12 of the mediators out of a thousand. Mm. So we haven't even caught up to great testing. I think looking at symptom presentations and a case history is the best way we currently have. Although if you need insurance coverage, you have to go through that diagnostic criteria. Right. That makes sense. Now with the testing that is available, it's looking at those inflammatory mediators or are there other like where you would be looking at like actual histamines and would that indicate anything? Correct. It's, it's urinary N-methylhistamine is used. You can look at serum histamine. Prostaglandins are available. Um, prostaglandin D2 is available. There are a few interleukins that can be tested for. So these are some of the tryptase. And let me touch on tryptase. There are two camps that are going through debate right now about what qualifies as mast cell activation syndrome. And one camp says tryptase must be elevated. And Beth, for those that are listening who may not be familiar, can you just explain what tryptase is? Thank you. Yes, it's just, it's another inflammatory mast cell mediator. So it's another marker and it can be measured in the serum. What this is, it's been a marker for a really rare mast cell condition called mastocytosis. And um, it is accurate for mastocytosis. But in mast cell activation syndrome, we found that it's rarely elevated. But again, this isn't even being taught in medical school today. I have medical school students who come and work with me, and they say, we're not being taught any of this. We've got a long way to catch up. But I'm sharing this because people may go to a provider who was trained that tryptase is the only way to test for it and comes back negative. And they're told you can't have mass activation syndrome. And that's just outdated information. It was thought to be correct at one point in time. And this field is drinking from a fire hose every day. There's so much that keeps coming out. But I did want to touch on that so people would know. And even if those other markers come back negative, don't rule it out. Because the, there are very few labs in the country that can process this blood work and urine um, sample correctly. It has to be cold centrifuged and it has to be kept cold the whole way. So that can cause false negatives if that's not done. And as you said, there's only eight or nine, right, different inflammatory markers that are tested and there could be a thousand different ones. So you could have nine negative but 900, right, positive ones that are just not tested. That's my theory. Dr. Efren, um, who I follow closely and is a real uh, leader in this field, he thinks that if the testing is done correctly and processed correctly, then we can catch it with the ones that we have. And I'm staying open to, well, what about people who don't have those mediators elevated? I don't know. 
But I did want to step back on one other symptom that's important we talk about, which is hypersensitivity. Not everyone with mast cell activation syndrome has sensitivities to things, and not everyone has allergies. But people who have extreme sensitivities to fragrances, if you're somebody who has to hold your breath walking down the the laundry aisle of the grocery store, getting in an elevator, you can't take an Uber because of the car fragrance, Uh, or people who are super sensitive to mold or super sensitive to EMFs, people who are sensitive supplements to medications um, should look into mast cell activation syndrome. So in a nutshell, the way this is defined is it's chronic inflammation in two or more systems of the body that wax or wane, they come and go with or without allergy, with or without anaphylaxis. Some people have anaphylaxis, some people don't. And then with or without what I'm going to term hypersensitivity. And that sensitivities population is who we work the the most closely with. I remember when I was going through school, I mean, this was a long while, but we were taught that when people have hypersensitivity, there's usually a gut issue, right? But this is going even deeper than that, right? Well, why is there a gut issue? Because of the mast cells, right? Right. And then we go even deeper than that. I love this line because then we go, well, why are the mast cells being triggered? And why, why can't they regulate themselves? And I know that you're a, a clinical nutritionist and nutrient depletion is another uh, factor here. We're, we're so depleted from our depleted soils, from Western diets, from toxins. Even if we eat perfectly, I've eaten perfectly for years, but it had such significant mold toxicity, chemical toxicity, and tick-borne infections. I had Lyme, Bartonella, and Babesia, and I was bedridden and had to walk. I could barely hobble with a cane and excruciating pain. Insomnia was a nightmare. And as perfectly as I ate, I couldn't keep up the nutrient load that was demanded on my body by processing all of this stuff. Stress uses up our nutrients. So that's even another layer to it. It's almost like there's a root and then there's a root underneath that and a root underneath that because it's like you said, what's creating those mast cells to get activated, right? It's all of these infections and stressors and molds. That makes a lot of sense. It's so important to look at everything and you know, really everything in the body is interrelated and that's why we have to look at it comprehensively like you're doing, which is amazing. So if someone suspects that they may have mast cell activation syndrome, let's say they do your questionnaire and they answer yes to a lot of the things that are on there. Where would they start? Because this is obviously very complex and I'm sure probably very, very overwhelming to people. And on top of that, we know stress is a trigger and then they get stressed because they have this and then that just kind of becomes this double whammy. So what are some things that they can do first? As this is a, such an important question because one, it's still a bit of a wild west out there. Well, the internet's a wild west and has been since it came up. But um, in terms of information in, in these areas, and people are looking and searching for a long time. And our mission is to make sure that people have cutting edge, accurate information that can really help them. So that's written into our our mission. It it comes out of my own journey in that I spent 20 years going from provider to provider. I saw over 75 practitioners. 
I stopped counting at $350,000 I'd spent on my health. I know it's been way over half a million now. Every And I'm not a rich person. Every penny was poured in over 20 years to my health. I wouldn't buy clothes so that I could get this next health book and try to figure it out. But I got my life back. And the way I got it back was one, figuring out I had mast cell activation syndrome. And two, working on the root pieces. And so now I have an entire method and I've worked with over 800 people and there've been thousands of people through courses that have tested this method out. And what I'm so excited about is it worked. And I didn't come up with this entirely on my own. I'm, um, Dr. Neil Nathan's my close mentor. Um, I'm studying with Dr. Richard Horowitz. Um, there's been lots of other people that I've studied with. So this is, I can't take full credit but I've, I've woven it together for people with mass activation syndrome and a lot of sensitivities. And then I want to give credit to the people that I get to um, learn from and Dr. Jill Krista. But in a nutshell, that what's really important is that to know is that in mass activation syndrome, and particularly if you're sensitive, things have to be done at the right time in the right order. So many people reach out to us and say, I tried glutathione and I was bedridden. I tried methylfolate and I've been out of my skin anxious for six months. And I hear these stories every day and it breaks my heart because I, I was doing the same thing, figuring all these pieces out. I just happened to have a, a pre-med background and then was able, when I got my health back, to go to graduate school and become a, a naturopath. So... The very first pieces, there's five steps to the method, and I want to really focus on step one, which is called stabilization. In the stabilization phase, we have to calm everything down before we can move into detoxification. And I see lots of people are trying to just hammer away at heavy metals or let's go after lime. Let's go after those mold toxins really hard. And you do want to address those, but again, it's all in the right order. So before we can even do that, because killing off mold or, or lime, um, pulling out heavy metals, pulling out mold toxins, detoxing chemicals, all of that is going to trigger the mast cells even more. And that's where the people we work with, they've kept falling through the cracks and falling through the cracks. So we, we step back and we just stabilize everything. We bring it everything down a few notches. And with the way we do that is first we stabilize the nervous system. And that's why I ask people to remember when I talked before about the mast cells lining every nerve sheath and being in every nerve ending. So the mast cells are the interface between the nervous system and the rest of the body. So that they're the interface. And there's constant communication happening between the mast cells and the nervous system. Mast cells have receptors for the neurotransmitters, neuropeptides coming in. And the nervous system, the neuronal endings, have receptors for some of the mast cell mediators. So there truly is a constant crosstalk. It's like texting with your best friend all day long. <laughs> That's what they're doing. And then the mast cells will communicate what's coming in from the nervous system to the rest of the body, to the hormone system, detoxification system, to the gut, etc. Especially for people with sensitivities who have trouble taking things, 
this is a great way to enter in because you don't have to swallow anything. And we work with primarily limbic retraining, so the limbic systems, the fear and emotion system in the brain. We work with the vagal nerve system. The vagal nerve also monitors for fear and safety. And we work with structural issues that may be affecting the nervous system. We're looking for those and helping people get um, set up. For example, I might say, well, you, you may need to get a, a consult with an osteopathic cranial worker or something like that if it seems like their neck is out, if we've had a history of head injuries or things like that. So that's three pieces, the limbic system, the vagal nerve, and then are there structural pieces that are maybe pinching the vagal nerve? So that could be a vertebrae that's out or something like that. That makes so much sense to start there. It's interesting because I do something somewhat similar in my customized Hashimoto's course as well. And sometimes people are like, oh yeah, nervous system, just tell me like, you know, the supplements I need, what am I cleansing? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like we don't start there. We have to calm first. If you start cleansing, you're going to likely going to feel worse. So I'm with you a hundred percent. Oh, I'm so glad. And I, I tell people in our nervous system course, this is at least 50% of the healing process, 50%. So if you can take all the supplements you want all day long and address the root triggers and clean up your diet all day long, but if you have mast cell activation syndrome, if you have autoimmunity, if you have Hashimoto's and you don't address the nervous system side, you're probably not going to get there. 99%. I, I'm, I, I don't like absolutes, but um, 99% likely you're not going to get there. There's some people that can, but most are not. And then if you have a trauma history, and who it's hard to find people who don't these days, but if you have a trauma history, that percentage of... The nervous system work is more like 65 to 70% of the healing process. It's so critical. just can't emphasize it more. And I, I denied it for a long time because I just wanted the supplement fixed as well. And um, that was the huge game changer was when I brought it all together. And we see it over and over and people keep failing protocols. We get this part on board. And it's not about just listening to a YouTube meditation or doing a yoga class. If you're doing those, great. Please keep doing them. But you have to reboot the limbic and the vagal systems. And those are very specific modalities. So we have lots of information, and you have lots of information on that. So I won't go into much detail there um, so we can hit these other pieces. And then the other step is, is stabilizing the mast cells. We're going to get some of that done with the nervous system, a good chunk. And we can start stabilizing with some of the mast cell supporters, things that modulate these receptors, modulate these mediators. Some of the most common ones are quercetin. It's used a lot. Um, I love quercetin. Not everybody tolerates quercetin. So if they have salicylate intolerance, they may not tolerate it. Quercetin is a mild antimicrobial. So if people have a huge pathogen load, sometimes it'll cause some die-off for them. So we may have to use some others, but that's a real common one is quercetin. We, one of the other mistakes I see people make, though, is that they want to take just one or two supplements and be done. And if we're talking about something simple, that's great. And I'm happy for minimal supplement protocols. I have not had a minimalist approach work in the people I see. And I see the really complex cases. I don't see the mild cases. So... 
we want a synergy of agents to support the mast cells because we have to remember again, over 200 receptors, over a thousand mediators. There's no way a single substance can cover all of that. And we're trying to cushion as many of those receptors as possible to calm this down, but each product may only be able to cushion two to four to six, maybe 10 at the high end out of 200. Now, we don't have to cover all 200, but we want to get as much as we can. Um, some of the other top ones I'll, I'll toss out for people. One of my favorites is actually perilla seed extract. Um, very helpful. And then some of the others, bakelin, not Chinese skullcap root, but the bakelin extract from Chinese skullcap is both mast cell supporting and calms neural inflammation. One of my favorites. When there's neural inflammation, we use things like PEA as well. Um, there's a company called Mirica that makes that. And that is a, a type of supplement that calms mast cells and neural inflammation. And then for the gut, we will do things like quercetin, perilla seed, 30 minutes before meals. So before eating, we'll kind of preload. So that's just a little selection. People have salicylate intolerance. We have to go with the non-herbals, and that's going to be things like baking soda. Bicarbonates actually modulate inflammasome uh, production that triggers mast cells. We can use things like vitamin D, vitamin E, zinc. So there's all this stuff we can do, and, and people without salicylate intolerance can add all those in with their herbals. And a lot of people will need some H1 antihistamines, and if they have GI symptoms and H or bladder symptoms, an H2 blocker like famotidine can be helpful. But of course, those are medications, so work with your medical provider. So that's the supplement piece. Then we remove the triggers, and we're looking for environmental mold. We're looking for chemicals, whether it's off-gassing in the house or chemicals that are in the water, drinking water. Make sure we've got clean water. I love how Jill Connorhan says, clean air, clean water, clean food. So we want to make sure there's not pesticides coming in the food. And mold exposure is the number one root trigger in mold toxicity that I see of mast cell activation syndrome. And number two is tick-borne illnesses. If there's mold, we're going to deal with that before the line, but I'll get there in a second. Then once we get a little stabilization, we're also going to support the adrenals. We're going to make sure we're supporting sleep. And if we can balance the hormones a little bit, that's helpful, but it's a moving target and it's got to be brought in. Not everybody tolerates it early in, depending on how sensitive they are. Once the symptoms have calmed down, I like to see them come down at least 20, 25%. They're not going to be gone. We just got some resiliency and some room in the system. So then we can move into a very gentle detox. And we, we detox very differently for mast cell activation syndrome. But if mold is there, which out of hundreds and hundreds of cases, I've yet to find somebody who didn't have some mold toxicity. I'm not saying everybody in the world has it, but people with mast cell activation syndrome is so common. Yeah. Now, when you say mold, is it more past mold exposure or would they actually have mycotoxins that you would find in their urine? Well, they've all had mycotoxins in their urine. And many people have been told they don't have mold toxicity because the levels came back really low and the test was misunderstood. Most people that I see in my practice are very poor detoxifiers and 
mold is stored in the tissues, it's fat soluble. So for it to come out to the into the urine, you're not going to ever see the full body burden. You're just going to see a tiny tip of the iceberg. So if I see anything show up, I take it seriously. And once they're more stable, we actually see those levels go up over time on the testing as they could start excreting it. So I'm looking for clues that it's actually there and it's hidden. And um, a lot of people do have environmental exposure and they have no idea. The only people I've worked with, I work all across the country, only people I've worked with that have sometimes not had mold in their home were in the desert areas of the Southwest. And Florida is one of the hardest places for people. And I'm so concerned about people after this hurricane, after Hurricane Katrina was a big issue. Even the upper East Coast after Hurricane Sandy. We've seen a lot of that after Sandy here, for sure. Yeah. And it, it, the whole California and whole West Coast is a hotbed. The Mideast, where I am, is very humid. So it's just mold to become a major issue for a lot of reasons, but it's, it's a big deal now. So you're essentially then calming everything down. Then you're going to do a gentle detox. And I think that was step three, right? Or four. And then what's the last step then? So stabilization is our step one. And I, there are these 1A, 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 1B, 1C, D. So that was all I was talking about with the stabilizing with the stabilizing the nervous system, the mast cells, removing the triggers, supporting adrenal and hormones and sleep. That's all in the stabilization phase. Then we go through our gentle detox. So that's step two. Then after that, we can start to look at other infectious loads. So this is where I wanted to bring in, if we have Lyme, let me differentiate first. If somebody has Lyme and they were just bitten by a tick two, two weeks ago or two months ago and all their symptoms exploded, that's an acute case and that's not what I'm talking about. That needs to be addressed right away. If somebody has probably had Lyme for years, and it's not under control, but they're not tolerating the Lyme protocols, you generally want to pull the, the mold toxins out first because the mold is hitting the immune system so hard that the body doesn't have a chance to fight back on the Lyme. And all the Lyme protocols rely on the immune system to be working for that Lyme protocol. So that's where people end up on IV antibiotics for years. They're on oral antibiotics for years. But if we get the mold out, about 30% of people, at least in my practice, spontaneously clear the Lyme and the co-infections. And those that don't, when their immune system kicks back in, those that don't can go on to do those protocols and they tolerate them. And Richard Horowitz has done some incredible research and is getting uh, amazing remission levels just in the past year that we've not seen before. So there's a lot of hope here for Lyme, and I just wanted to lay that out. That's amazing. So so that's where we would do that piece. Then we go into step four is rebuilding. That's when we can finally rebuild the like the GI tract. Everybody's trying to heal leaky gut. We definitely want to heal leaky gut. But when you have a wrecking ball of mold toxins dumping into your gut or Lyme biotoxins or whatever every day and knocking it up like Swiss cheese, doesn't matter how much you do. You want to protect the gut, but it's not going to completely re rebuild itself until you get out the wrecking balls. So then we can get the gut lining repaired, 
you can get the hormones back in balance fully at that point. You get the mitochondria re rebalanced at that point, rebuilt. You can get your, you have to support micronutrients as you go along, but now you can finally get things just rebuilt and, and back together. And then step five for us is optimizing. So this is where we really look at um, our genetics. We look at our genetic weaknesses and put together a, a wellness plan for on the other side that hopefully at that point can be minimal for people. You can hear it's a lot of work. Um, it's not for people who want a quick fix or they want to take two supplements. I don't have ways of making that work for this population, unfortunately. I wish I did. But um, we do have a lot of hope. And most people can be done in two to four years. Most adults, children are much faster. Mm, that's really good to know. And again, I think it may sound like, wow, two years. But for most people, they've been dealing with this for 10, 15, 20 years, right? So to have someone to support them and guide them so they're not stressed and overwhelmed and to get their results easier, right? The two years, I mean, I know it seems like a lot, but it's really not when you've been dealing for 20 so I hear you for sure on that. Yeah. And there's so much hope. I just want to share, like, I had a woman I worked with. It's just one case example. She had multoxicity. She had um, Lyme and Bartonella. And when I met her, she was having 20 seizures a day. She was in a wheelchair. She was on route to go to college for the first time and then got sick and everything caved in on her. And she could hardly form sentences she couldn't stand to listen to conversation for more than 10 to 15 minutes. She'd have a complete meltdown. And even just within a year of working through the protocols that we're talking about, she was out of that wheelchair. She was talking like a normal 20-year-old. Seizures were totally gone. And she was getting ready to apply, go back to college. And I'd encourage her to give herself just a little more time to stabilize her body and get her strength back up. Um, but that was one year that was a really severe case. I can't promise that for everybody. And some people, it's a year of just stabilizing because they're in mold exposure or they have stressors they haven't addressed yet. Um, they're trying to get out of mold or whatever, so it takes longer. But that's just a case example of what can happen. I love hearing that. And, yeah. you know, I think obviously the big thing for this show is really showing people that the answers really are out there, even if things seem like they're unfigure outable. Everything is figure outable. And I just love hearing everything that you're explaining and all of the hope. Now, speaking of information, because you are certainly a wealth of information. So speaking of this information, I know you have Encore Weekend coming up this weekend of your summit. Tell us a little bit more about that because if people want more info, this is what they need to go and see. I'm so excited about this. And we've been working on this. It's over a year has come into, into this summit. So we have our Encore Weekend for the Reversing Mast Cell Activation and Histamine Intolerance Summit. And it's going to be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, October 28th, 29th and 30th. We just opened all of the talks back up for free. So all the talks for the whole summit, there's, uh, I think there's 49 talks. 49. Wow. 49 talks all about mast cell activation syndrome and different facets. So there's ones about mindset and bringing hope. There's ones about modulating the immune system and using LDN and autoimmunity. There's ones about cancer. 
There's ones about um, GI issues, there's genetics, we've got things about mold, we've got things about neural inflammation, how to address this in children. And we have talks about um, brain function and preventing Alzheimer's, but talks about salicylates and oxalates and histamine intolerance. For people who've been really food restricted and afraid of eating, there's a wonderful talk called From Food Fears to Food Freedom. There's talks, a talk on anxiety, talks on the limbic system and the vagal system. So you can learn more about these things. It's all free. It's um, three days will be entirely for free this weekend. So do please join us. I'd love for you to join us. Um, a couple special bonuses for people. So one, there's over 30 downloads you can access around things like onboarding supplements for sensitive people quiz to see if your mast cells are haywire so you get access to all of this stuff there's some nervous system pieces in there for you for free you can download we'll post that in the show notes as well so people have that link that's amazing well beth thank you so much for all of this information you just you provide so much and so much hope and thank you for all the work that you do obviously in your practice but also with putting together these events and summits and q a's to really give people the information that they need we're going to post everything in the show notes about uh, your practice and the summit and i just really appreciate everything that you do thank you thank you thank you i'm so grateful for you as well and your work i love that we can come together like this to help people Mast cell activation syndrome is way more common than people realize. And while, of course, very complex, there is hope and a lot that we can do. I work with Julie first and foremost on calming her nervous system and her immune system through various modalities, both biochemical as well as energetic and emotional, especially on the trauma side. We also found out that she was very sensitive to EMFs, so we supported that as well. We then used targeted supplements like quercetin and supported all her triggers, her infections, toxins, food sensitivities. We also supported methylation. She was actually an overmethylator and didn't realize that she was taking way too many methyl donors, which was actually making her feel worse. By the way, if you wanted to learn more about this, I have an episode explaining all of this in detail. That was episode 108. So if you missed that, definitely be sure that you check it out. I know you'll find it super helpful. Julie also lived in a brand new home, but as it turns out, she did have past mold exposure. And even though it was not current, her body was still affected by it. So we used a combination of biotoxin binder, high-dose vitamin C, molecular hydrogen, as well as some gentle antifungals to help support her body. And I have this whole protocol in the show notes for you. Since Julie was very, very sensitive, we had to go slow, starting at a quarter dose of everything. In fact, we joked that my two-year-old was taking higher doses than she was at some point. But of course, it's not a race, and it's what she could handle, and that's okay. And if you're sensitive too, don't feel bad. Anything you can do makes a difference, no matter how small the dose. Eight months into the protocol, she started to really see an improvement with her digestion, energy, and brain fog. Her skin was also less reactive. Of course, we still had work to do, but she and I are so encouraged with her progress and so excited to see more and more in the coming months. If Julie sounds like someone you know, would you please share this episode with them? This way more people know that their answers are out there and there is hope. 
I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health History Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.